This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, beloved, welcome to another amazing chapter of the Book of Sean. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I have a great show for you, and I often have a great show for you, but this is going to be a great show. Here's what I know for sure. I have lived long enough to know some things. I'm not an old man, but I'm not no kid. You know what I'm saying? Here's what I know for sure. I know the truth will set you free. Come on. I know that for sure. And I know that the point of life is freedom. There's some things that I know for sure. I know that anything you love can be saved and only what you love can be raised from the dead. I know that. Here's the last thing I know, at least for tonight. Trauma is a time traveler. Things will happen in one season of your life and you will think that you're done with it, over it, past it, and because trauma is a time traveler, it'll pop up on you when you least expect it. You'll be in the most random of places doing the most random of things, and it'll all come back. My guest tonight knows what I'm talking about. He has lived a life with some built-in traumas, and he also knows the time-traveling effects of heartbreak, pain, and in his case, bullying. My guest tonight was bullied as a child and as a teenager, and even as he has matured past it, the pain lives on. The echo remains. I want to see tonight if I can find a way, using all that the Creator has given me, to help him create an original sound so that his life won't be defined by what happened, but by what he believes is about to happen for him. <laughs> Don't you feel like throwing your shoe? <laughs> I told you it was going to be great. Anyway, welcome to the show tonight. My guest, Dennis Turner. <laughs> hey, Dennis. Uh, hey, how you doing? I'm good, man. I love your smile. I told you that when we were off the air. I just, I, I love to see black men smiling. I think it's amazing. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm happy to be here, and thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's my pleasure. And um, so we have a lot of ground to cover because your story is an important one that I think a lot of people can relate to. And so I want to I wanna begin sort of at the beginning, and I want to ask you this. You were bullied as a child and as a teenager, but tell me how it started. Oh, um, it started when I was at about third grade. I was about eight years of age, and we had some bullies in the class that were, a, a little, they were a little bit older than us. Um, I think I'm about eight years of age in third grade. So uh, I want to say they were about 12, 11, um, 12. It was a number of them. And we we had a teacher that would walk out the classroom and, you know, give an assignment or, and she would step out. But it, it would seem like she would be gone for ages. Um, that's when, you know, it started. And so it was not just me, it was the entire class. Mm. And truthfully, uh, I can't remember learning much in, the, in that third grade at all uh, that mm. was going. Yeah, you know, hold, hold on, Dennis. Even as you talk about it, I can see your face reliving it. 
your eyes, your, like your entire physical disposition changed when you start. What, what's happening? What's coming up as you talk about this? Man, details. Um, things that they did and the things that they said. Would you mind yeah. sharing some of those details? At one particular time, um, they sometimes would pick random kids to pick on. And this, I guess this was my day. And so they came to my desk, um, pushed me, told me that I need to get up, do something, you know, like fight back, I guess. And I'm like, no. And so they started hitting and punching. So I, I basically, in order to, I was eight. I came up with this idea that if I just fall out in the floor and act like I was having a seizure, maybe they'll leave me alone. <laughs> and that that particular day it was me. And so it actually worked. Um, they did stop because I, I want to say they were looking like, oh man, is something really happening to him? Let's mm. pull back. And so, you know, that but that's that that was an incident, you know, me personally. And, you know, it, it, I was I'm the youngest of 12, and I know a lot of people may say, well, why do you tell your siblings? But you got to remember I was eight, you know, mm -hmm. years of old, eight years of age. And so I was thinking, you know, if I tell my sibling, you know, maybe they show up, you know, maybe they, you know, beat him up or, you know, or do something. But are they going to be here in my class every day? So what happens when I have to go back to class? And so I was bashful and and I just withdrew in my shell and I never really said anything hmm. um, and I used to try to skip school I tell my mom I was sick ill when I really wasn't um, until I got found out <laughs> and so she said she was sending me to school and I still I still didn't share um, so it was went on for a whole year and I was excited that Tell me why next... you think you didn't tell anybody. And don't, don't answer right away. I mean, I'll analyze your eight, nine, ten-year-old self. So look back at yourself from all the powers you have now and tell me why you think you held this in confidence and in secret. Fear. Mm -hmm. Fear. Um, the of fear what? was... Of what? Being harmed. Mm -hmm. Um... Some, some, sometimes the things that they would say while they were hitting you or the threats, they were, they were vile. They were, they were, you know, new to me. I'm a, I'm a little kid. I never heard of stuff like this. You know, what you're going to do to me? And I'm like, and, you know, they knew a lot of us had older siblings. It was, you know, they would say, you know, hmm. your sibling come to sorry, but I'm going to catch you. I'll catch you when they are not around when they're not around. And so you're, you're afraid, you know, you're, you're terrified. And yeah. so feel like you're defenseless, you know? Yeah. 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 And when you said defenseless, um, your face changed again. What was that? Um, for me, I just wasn't a fighter. Um, you know, when I was, I was young. I was I was the youngest, and you know, um, I was a cheerful kid. Mm. My mom was a different lady when I was born. You know, versus the older siblings, she was more into, uh, you know, she was more into church. She was, you know, she was a Christian lady, and so that's why she was raising me. And so, um, you know, my older siblings, they, you know, they they would get with it a little quicker, <laughs> than, way quicker than me. <laughs> And so, you know, I I think about that moment. I'm like this little this little boy. He just maybe he didn't believe that he could defend himself. Mm. Mm. Which is something you and I are going to come back to. Um, but before we go there, tell me when you knew that this was going to be an ongoing situation. And I don't just mean when you were in the third grade, because if I got the story right, you were also bullied in high school, right? Uh, yes. Well, uh, it was a, a moment in high school where I was um, part of a, 
uh, had some friends. We were we were all athletes. Um, a couple of them played basketball. Um, one played uh, no, a couple of them played football. Um, I was the the one that they play basketball mm-hmm. and one particular um, time, one of the guys that I was you know, hanging around um, friend of mine, he, he got in to it with some guys from, you know, the neighborhood. And so they started to, you know, threat, make threats and, and, and tell them what they were going to do to him. And, and then they just grouped us all in, like you and your friends. And I'm standing there like, I didn't do anything, you know. Mm. By this time, I am a teenager. And, you know, all I could think of is what happened to me when I was in third grade. And for some reason, I got in my mind that, you know, I'm not going to let this go down like this again. So I, I did something that was pretty drastic. And um, I showed up to school the next day. I kind of told one of my sisters I had something special. I kind of lied, and she was she let me drive a car, but I I actually had gotten a gun from my nephew, and I had it in the car. So um, the guys were gonna make good on their promise guy from the neighbor that guy from that neighborhood he brought some friends some friends showed up uh, on the back of a truck and it was about 10 well I don't know it was a lot of them it's only like three of us mm-hmm. and so when school is out there they're walking behind him making their threats when the guys showed up they started so I ran to the car retrieved the weapon put it in my jacket and I let my friend know, you know, don't worry, I got your back. We covered. When I showed him what I had, he it's like all of a sudden he became very um emboldened, I should say. And, you know, so the guys were making their way towards us. Um, he turned and yelled, you know, at me, give me the guns, give me the gun, I'm gonna shoot him. So there's a lot of people around at this time. I looked up, I'm looking at teachers running over, you know, officers. So Okay, wait, 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 wait. I need you to cut across this field. <laughs> did you did you did you end up using the gun? Did you end no. up getting caught with the gun? No, I didn't use the gun. No. Okay. Um, did you get caught I, with it? No. Okay. So no, the I'm gun split. hold on, the gun turned out to be a non factor. Right. Okay. It was right. it's it's the decision to arm myself at that age. Yes. Yeah. That, but and hold on, hold on, because as soon as you s- mentioned your friend's response to knowing that you had the gun, my first thought was gun courage is never real courage. It's no. never real courage. No. 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 <laughs> Which we're going to talk about a little later as well. But I, I want to ask you this before I take this break. Um, did you ever tell anybody how you were feeling, what happened to you, and how long it took place in your childhood when you were a kid? No. No. So you, no. you kept all of that in yourself. Yes. I, for, for some reason, so much always was going on in my home. Mm. My whether it was older siblings, um, there's a lot of things that was happening mm. in my home. And for me, I always wanted to be the least of my mom's worries, so I wouldn't burden her with what was happening with me because I saw her dealing with. Everybody uh, else, right? Everybody else. But, but let me ask you this. This is an important question. And I think I know what the answer is already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Did anybody ever stand up for you? Um, not at that moment. Not mm-hmm. at that moment. Um, it, was, it was, I guess I uh, had a, <clears throat> my brother 
one of my brothers stepped in for me uh, when I was in the ninth grade. Uh, we were still at, it was pretty much the same town at that time. And um, we had a kid that was, my brother's about five years older than me. And he was with my brother class. Okay. He was still there when I got there. So that he was older and he, he made a threat. And, um, you know, the teacher kept him away from me that particular day. But when I got home, I mentioned it to my brother. Um, <laughs> and and he and he eventually stood oh, up. Oh, he showed up. Your defense. Oh you know, yeah, he showed hold, up. Hold, hold, hold on one second, because I'm hearing I'm hearing patterns. I'm hearing things that are reoccurring. I'm hearing chaos. I'm hearing um, complexity. I'm hearing hearing threat. I'm hearing violence. Um, and it's all helping me understand how you were able to be triggered in your adult life because of the pattern, the pattern that sort of created the sensibility. Here's my last question. Give me a short answer on this, because I got to take a break. But I want to ask it now. Do you have any idea as to why you didn't stand up for yourself more? Um, lack of confidence, mm -hmm. lack of courage. Um, and, and, you know, I just, I never, violence to me is always like last result. And so um, I, it, I'm, it's never a first option or a second. Dennis, stop, stop right there. Cause I'm going to tell you now that that's not the reason. <laughs> no, that's not the reason. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I think the reason is on the other side of this break. But it's not a lack of courage. No, no, no. And it's not an aversion of violence. Although, you know, being adverse to violence is, might be a good thing. But it's not a lack of courage. I already hear what I think was the dilemma. And when we come back, I'm going to share it with Dennis and I'm going to share it with you. Because as it is with my brother, so it is with all of us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to my brother, Dennis Turner. <laughs> Dennis, I don't know why I like saying your name, but anyway. <laughs> Before we took a break, I asked you to think about why um, you did not feel empowered or whatever the words might be to stand up for yourself more. And the answer you gave were actually good answers, right? You contemplated a lack of, a lack of courage, and you contemplated an aversion to violence. You may have said one other thing that I don't remember, but, but those are the two main things. And I said to you, no. <laughs> because what I am hearing and sensing and feeling is not a lack of courage, but a lack of value. Mm, now your whole face just changed. Tell me, tell me what happens when I say that. It makes sense. Um, when you, one thing I've learned is, is when you grow up poor mm. and lack a lot, even basic necessities in life, it it does something to an individual. But de but Dennis, hold on, hold on. And I'm not trying to be rude. When I cut you off, I, I, I'm doing it respectfully and with all good intention because I don't want to go down the poverty road because you've already said something more powerful than poverty because mm -hmm. what you said to me today was a part of what you thought being a successful child was or, or meant was being invisible was not being someone who drew too much attention because your parents had too many other things to worry about. So invisibility was a part of what you in your, ch in your child mind considered to be successful. So it doesn't surprise me when the goal is to be invisible that you don't have a sense of your own value. Um, makes sense. Mm. Um. Yeah, is that helpful? Are you getting something from that? Definitely, definitely. You know, when you when you when it's twelve of you, it's it's hard to get that visibility. You know, especially from a parent. I lost my dad when I was three, so it's only one now. Mm. You're you're heading for so. Um, 
It makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. So my point, and the reason I cut you off and corrected you is because I don't want you to indict your courage. I don't want you to indict your valor or your bravery, right? This ain't about that. This ain't about being brave or courageous or having valor, being a Spartan man or, you know, a Zulu warrior, you know. No, 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 no. I don't know why I just did that. But it has nothing to do with any of that. What it has to do with is when you have come up a certain way and you've embraced a certain set of values and goals, they turn you or me, they turn us into something. And home, what you had to survive and deal with and sort of manage to make it at home, turns you into the kind of person who would accept, acquiesce, and create strategies of survival at school. You follow me? Because the, the moment you said that one of your uh, strategy was, strategies was um, to fall out and fake it, was it a seizure? Yes. <laughs> I immediately thought, okay, in his third grade mind, he came up with a strategy for survival. Mm-hmm. And I immediately thought, you didn't learn that in school. Mm-hmm. Tell me where you learned it. I definitely learned that at home. Mm-hmm. Definitely mm-hmm. learned that at home, how to make, as, as the old saying would say, I make a dollar out of 15 cents. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it with my mom. Um, yeah. 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 Now, when you say that, I see you fighting emotion. And on this show, we don't do that, okay? We don't fight emotion because that's the way to freedom. Because I'm sure all of this is affecting your life now, your relationships now, right? Um, I heard that you got triggered um, in your adult life. Can you talk about that? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. So I was a teacher, um, particular middle school, and what the one of my students approached me to let me know what was happening with some bullying in, that was happening online. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I, I asked around and got more questions about it, tried, tried to ask around and find out, and found out that not only did, were they doing this to, to all the students, taking photographs of them unbeknownst to the person and posting them online with captions on sites that they had created, but they started to do this um, with teachers as well. And so after inquiring about it a couple of days later, I'm, I'm finding out from the students that I'm on this site as well. And um, so I go to administration and they, they do absolutely nothing about this, nothing. And, and so I, I'm furious trying to figure out what should be done because one, I feel for the students. Um, they were really, really upset. And, you know, I, I, I could see them withdrawing just like I did. And it bothered me. So I was so upset and angry. I, I didn't, I really didn't know what to do after um, being shut down by administration and, you know, being letting it, they were writing it off as if, you know, oh, kids going to be kids. And I'm like, this is serious. And so, um, were you were you fighting for your students, or were you fighting for your eight year old self? I think initially I started to fight for the students, but once once I was posted and they made comments about me, I think it went to a different place for me. It you know, I, I would even say it triggered some of my feelings that I had as a youngster being bullied and, you know, not, not being able to, to, um, respond, you know, um, Mm -hmm. maybe in a manner that I would probably want it to, I wanted to, but I felt like my hands were tied. Mm -hmm. The only, my, 
I guess my saving grace to me was I, I just I started writing. Um, mm. That's and I I ended up writing a song to just have an outlet. Yeah, listen, whatever it takes to help us mitigate and manage the moment. But but here's the most important question I'm gonna ask you. Have you forgiven yourself for what you didn't do, couldn't do, or wouldn't do when you were eight, nine, 10, 11 years old? Okay, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I like, I would like to think so. Uh, sometimes I feel like I haven't. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, I, I see. I, what's coming up? Tell me what's coming up and stop fighting it. <laughs> what's coming uh, up? I mean, you know, I've had this conversation with my wife. You know, um, no, don't, don't, don't tell me a story. Tell me what's coming up. Don't avoid the feeling with a story. What's coming well, up? Um, sometimes I, feel, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I, I need to take on the blame or take, you know, shoulder, shoulder the issue. Mm-hmm. Not, not, you know, not forgive myself, not, you know, not blame anybody else. I just, that's the way I was, the way I'm, I'm constructed, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good news is that which is constructed can be deconstructed. Huh? That's yeah. good news because yes. we need to deconstruct that thought. And you need, you owe yourself forgiveness. You owe it to yourself to say, you know what? Eight-year-old Dennis, nine-year-old Dennis, I forgive you for being one too small and too young to do it to do anything in the moment. And I forgive you for believing that invisibility was the way to survive. I forgive you. I forgive you, Dennis. I forgive you. I forgive you for not being everything that you wanted to be because it wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. It simply wasn't your fault. You did what you knew how to do, and you did the best of what you knew how to do. And that was all you knew how to do. And how can you blame a man or beat up on a man who does everything he knows how to do? You hear me? Yeah. What, what, what's coming up? What's coming up? Talk to me. Uh, just, I don't. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. What's coming up? Um, hard to do, you know, mm. give yourself. Um, even now, you know. If it's something that happened, what if it's a mistake or a bad decision? You know, mm. it's hard to just forgive yourself. Mm. You know, but but stop for a second. I'm gonna, I got to take this break. Um, but let me say this to you. You sit here tonight as a grown man, and it's hard to forgive what you were as a child. But let me tell you something. I'm going to talk to you like I was your brother. Like I'm like you now, you have a 13th sibling. Oh, it is me. Okay. We brothers now. And let me tell you something, Dennis. <laughs> you owe that little boy more than what you're giving him. You owe him a little more respect and dedication because he got you here. And you may not be proud of, and you may not like, the means or the methods that he chose to do it. But without him, you would not be here tonight. That little boy kept you alive. He kept you going. He took what little he knew and he made it work. And you owe him more respect. Do you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Get me a cussing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I got to let you go. Did you get something out of this? Oh, I did. I did. And I appreciate it. 
I really do. Um, the the I guess the for me is it's is you know identifying you know the feelings, um, what was really happening. You know when you the value being valued, um, it really resonated with me because I I believe it's so true, and then you know being honest with myself mm-hmm. and stepping up and then forgiving myself. Yeah. You need to tell that nine-year-old you thank you before the night is over. You need to look at him in the mirror and say, you know what, man? You went through hell and somehow you made it out and I owe yeah. you gratitude. But here's the last thing I'm going to give you, okay? The okay. value issue is the most important issue going forward. Because as long as you know how great and how strong and how powerful you are, very few things in the future will be able to trigger you. You follow me? It's about value. Know who you are. Remember who you are. And know your worth. Yeah, we're going to leave it there. Dennis, thank you for coming on. Hey, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate you, Dr. Sean. I like anybody in North Carolina. (laughs) I'll see you soon. Listen, everybody, I got some great aha moments from that conversation. I'm going to share them with you when we come back. Dennis is a good dude, but little little Dennis, he's actually amazing, too. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. A lot of aha moments from that. Play the bumper, Harley. Did y'all see I caught Harley right there? I caught him. (laughs) Anyway, wow. See, one of the aha moments that I got from that is when the goal is to be invisible, you will never have a sense of your own importance. And that does not just apply when you're a kid. It applies to everything. You're trying to be invisible in a friendship or invisible in a marriage or invisible at your job or in school, or in your family, as in the case of young Dennis, you'll never have a sense of your importance or your own value or significance. So how can you stand up for something you don't think or ever was taught to believe should be defended or stood up for? You follow what I'm saying? You can't be surprised when you don't defend yourself, when you don't have a sense of yourself. See, that's, that's why the most important thing that we can do is come to terms with who we are and to know ourselves. Stop trying to know what's going on with Deion Sanders or whoever, Kyrie or whoever, Beyonce, whoever, and master yourself. Plato said, for a man to master himself is the greatest and the noblest of all victories. And he was absolutely right. Come to terms with who you are. Because that's the road that leads to freedom. Okay? All right, let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Play that bumper, Hiley. (laughs) Hiley was ready for that one. You guys always send me amazing videos. Let's take a look at this one. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Alyssa from Montreal, Canada, and I have a question for you today. What do you believe are some good tips for couples who are trying to invite other people into the bedroom, if you know what I mean? I have no tips for that. (laughs) I cannot help you with that. What are some good tips for inviting other people in the bedroom? That's not what I do. (laughs) Outside of, y'all want to come in here do the horizontal mamba with us? I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. I have no tips for that. And I'm not, you know, if that's what you want to do, I'm not against it. I'm not poo-pooing on it. I'm just saying, well, I do have one tip, okay? Be honest, right? Just be honest and tell people what you want. And I mean all of what you want. And if they with it, then they with it. And if they not, then they not. But other than that, I don't know any sort of secret way or magical way to get people to want to do threesomes and foursomes and whatever number y'all come up with. I don't know. I live a boring life. 
Next question. Somebody emailed me this. I got pregnant after having a one-night stand, but I never told the man. I just discovered that he is dating a woman who I recently befriended. How do I tell her that I got pregnant by her boyfriend without ruining our friendship? Let me do this quickly. You can't have your cake or eat it too. You're going to have to choose one or the other. Maintaining the friendship should not be the most important thing that you're after. The truth should be the most important thing. So if you got to choose between the truth and keeping a friend, choose the truth. Because first of all, you should have told that man that you were pregnant and having his baby. Not just because he deserves to know, but also because you deserve to not have to go through that journey alone or by yourself. So the truth. Tell your friend that you met this man, had a baby with him before the two of you ever became friends. And you didn't even know that she ever existed or y'all were going to be friends. Has nothing to do with her. That you had a life before you met her. And now, ironically, those lives, those moments are intersecting and you wanted her to know. She gets mad and walks away. That's her right. But at least you honored yourself with the truth. Okay? If you lose a friend, but you gain your self-respect, then you haven't lost anything. Let's take a break. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So, Wani Warren and I were over here talking about that first video question and the whole polyamorous kind of thing. Mm -mm, I just can't do it. You know, Juan, you can't do it either, right? No, I just can't do it. I Listen, either you're mine or get out. <laughs> I can't share. There's no sharing. I can share my pizza. Well, I can't share that either. Anyway, highly play a bumper. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't share my pizza. That's the devil. You guys sent me amazing videos. The last video was actually pretty amazing, too. No one's ever asked me that question. So that was a great video from that perspective. And let's take a look at this one. Hey, Dr. Sean, I'm Ashley, and I need some advice. Do you think it's a red flag if someone you're dating is 100% against marriage? If you want to be married, yes. So if I was dating someone and they were 100% against married, being married, it works fine with me because I don't want to be married. So I think, think this is great. <laughs> you are perfect for me. But if you want to be married, and that's a value that you hold, it's a problem because you should not have to convince someone to want to make that kind of commitment or decision with respect to you. And if you have to convince someone to want to be married, then if they inevitably say yes, you will always know that you had to convince them, that the decision didn't germinate or originate or emanate from them. It was something you had to pry and pull and beg and scream and scratch and, and coerce out of them. And I don't care what anybody says. I'm telling you, nobody wants to know that they had to coerce someone into loving them. Okay? Because you can tell the end from the beginning. If I had to convince you to be here, I'm probably going to have to convince you to stay. So if you're dating someone who doesn't want to be married, and you want to be married, then understand what the relationship is. This might not be your forever situation, but it might be good right now. So let it be what it is. If you're having a good time and you guys are compatible and you're doing your thing and it feels great, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Now, unless you feel some, you know, some moral pressure to get married sooner rather than later, which I don't agree with, by the way, then, you know, you might make another decision. But I, here's what I say. Let it be what it is and enjoy it as it is, and you might discover that the person you're dating might have a change of heart and mind, but it will be their change, their transformation, something that they want to do. So good luck with that. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with wanting to be married in as much as there's nothing wrong with not wanting to be married. It's a little thing called freedom. 
and you get to live it and express it the way you want to, okay? So does the person you're dating. But it's not a inherently a red flag. It just depends on you. All right. Someone DM me this question. My husband gained 20 pounds during the quarantine, and he loves his new body. I am not a fan of his new look and refuse to have sex with him until he loses weight. Is this the wrong way to motivate him to get him back in shape? And am I just pushing him away? It's absolutely the wrong way. And you are absolutely going to push him away. And let me but add, and you are absolutely shallow. Inasmuch as a guy who wouldn't give the the D <laughs> to a woman if she gained 20 pounds, you are no different. This is absolutely shallow because your marriage ought to be based on something other than how the other person looks. And if it's just built on physical attraction, you know, um, the splendor of your pulpitudinous wonder, physical wonder, then you don't have much of a marriage. At some point, the attraction has to be about something other than physical beauty because your body's going to change. If not because of the quarantine, it'll be because of age, having babies, whatever it is. And let me tell you a little secret, and I'm only telling you this because I care about you. It's going to be a lot easier for him to lose 20 pounds than it will be for him to forget how you treated him when he gained 20 pounds. He can lose that 20 pounds, but he's not going to forget how you metastasized into the worst version of yourself and became something shallow and petty and superficial and reduced him down to pounds. Not affection, not generosity, not compassion, not intelligence, not wisdom, not spirit, not heart, but pounds. What's wrong with you? I understand that we are attracted to who we are attracted to or what we're attracted to, and some things turn us on more than others. I get it. But the way you motivate somebody to change their lives is to motivate them, not by punishing them and giving them ultimatums, and in this case, denying sex. Because let me tell you something. You want a recipe for cheating? This is it. (laughs) You want a surefire formula for a man to create all the conditions he need, needs to justify cheating, this is it. You deny a man's sex regularly over and over again, he's going to get it somewhere. And it doesn't make what he may or may not do right, but it does make it understandable, and it does make it completely avoidable. Instead of not giving him sex and trying to use that as motivation, why don't the two of you go on a journey together where you affirm, where you celebrate, where you remind, where you encourage and inspire him to reach back to his best and greater self? Why don't you put it in the form of a challenge, right? You know, Every week you lose whatever it is, and mama going to take care of you. <laughs> I mean, there are just better ways to do this than to make someone feel bad. And you told me in your question, he don't feel bad about his body, which is actually a healthy thing. So instead of you trying to make him feel bad, why not convince him to reach for more? But to do that, you got to be more. Anyway, let's take a break. We come back. We're going to do some here's what doesn't make sense. A lot of crazy in the world, and I came to talk about it right after this. So um, we like to do a little something called here's what doesn't make sense. Crazy things going on around the world. Play the bumper, Hiley. So, when Melissa Highsmith was just 22 months old in 1971, 
a woman who was hired to watch over her ending, ended up rather kidnapping her. And for 51 years, Melissa was raised to believe that her name was actually Melanie, and she lived in Fort Worth, Texas, never knowing that she was missing. There are a lot of people I know who don't know that they're missing in some way. But anyway, back to Melissa. She had no idea that her biological family was searching for her um, until one day um, one of them reached out to her on Facebook. And here's how it happened. Apparently, Melissa's biological family uploaded her, their DNA to 23andMe, and in some way along the way, somewhere in the journey, Melissa also uploaded, for whatever reason, her DNA to 23andMe, and it was a match! <laughs> they found the daughter that they lost in 1971, and they reached out to her found out who she might be, and there you see them meeting for the first time, meeting and reunited with her mother and her father because she who was lost is now found, and she who was dead is very much alive again. And I know there are a lot of you waiting on something and wanting something and wishing that you had something. And I know sometimes we get lost in the misery of the wait and the despair of time. And sometimes what we want seems so far away. But the reality and the truth is that just as oysters are still suffering pearls and coal is being pressed into diamonds, the reality is that what you want may not be as far away as you think it is. You see, sometimes the hardest thing in the world to do is to believe in something when you don't have any evidence or reason to keep believing. Sometimes the most difficult thing you can ever do is hold on to just basic Dionysian faith. But like Aretha Franklin said, rock steady, baby. Sometimes you got to sit there and just rock steady and tell hell and evil and white supremacy and everything else, I'm going to have what I'm going to have because it's already mine. I'm supposed to be telling you about something that doesn't make sense. Here's the part that doesn't make sense. Giving up doesn't make sense. Turning around, going back, throwing in the towel, it doesn't make sense. And you know how I know? Because Melissa Highsmith found her family 51 years later. And I wonder what you might find if you keep going. All right, let's do one more before we got to get out of here. Lady Susan Hussey. Am I saying her last name right? Nicole, tell me if I'm saying her last name right. I think it's Hussey. Prince William's godmother is named Lady Susan Hussey. I really hope that's how you say her name. Anyway, and she was forced to quit her job recently um, in the royal household because she made racist comments to a black guest. The guest is named in Guzzi Falani. She's the CEO of a group called Sister Space, which specializes in providing services for women of African and Caribbean descent who've experienced violence. And little did she know that she was about to experience a microaggression at the Royal Palace. <laughs> Ms. Falani says that Lady Hussey started peppering her with questions about her racial origins and would not acknowledge the fact that um, Ms. Falani told her that she was born in Britain. After telling this white woman, and I don't use the term pejoratively, just descriptive, <laughs> after telling Lady Hussey that she was born in Britain, Lady Hussey went on to insist that she give her genuine, real origins, as if any of the information pertaining to where Ms. Falani was originally from was any of this white woman's business. Ms. Falani was born in Britain, and this is a ridiculous reminder of how you can be born in a country and still people in that country don't consider you to be a citizen of the country you were born in. But people have the right to tell you as much of their story as they want you to know. Nobody owes anybody a confession about their lives. And if I choose to invite you into my story, then welcome in. And if I don't, 
can go away. <laughs> but secondly, and finally, let me say this before we go off the air. Lady Hussey wanted to know what was Mrs. Fulani's origin. And the truth of the matter is, we all come from Africa. She wanted to know what country uh, Miss Fulani originated from, but all human beings come from Africa. Africa is the cradle of civilization. And while not every human being is an African, humanity began its journey on the planet in Africa. So, you know, it's a goofy question to ask. And how about we simply just start thanking Mother Africa for producing us and stop asking people stupid questions about where they come from? And how about, lastly, we accept the answers that we are given? Since it's not our story, and it's not our journey, and nobody owes you an explanation about who they are. Shout out to Miss Fulani for not telling Lady Hussey <laughs> a damn thing. Anyway, amazing show tonight, right? Dennis was a great guest, and I wish him well, and I wish him power. But I wish him forgiveness, not for the man that he is, but for the boy that he was. You see, until you heal the little boy, the man will never be liberated. That's how that works. I wish all of you freedom tonight. I'll see you later on in the week. We got some more show to do. More book of showing people, all right? I'm excited about this week. This is, a, this is how you start a week. You hear me? All right, you ready? Y'all be good to each other. Be kind, be loving, and I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.